This is a download from Ormskirk Christadelphians of one of our Sunday afternoon talks. A video of the talk is also available along with more downloads on our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk. If you'd like to join us in person, our talks take place at our meeting room on Moorgate in Ormskirk every Sunday at 1.45pm. We hope you enjoy the talk. So, the Kingdom of God then is a is a central part of the message of the Bible and of the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're told many times during the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ that he spake unto them of the kingdom of God, or similar phrases are used. When the Lord gave what's become known as the Lord's Prayer, the first appeal, the first plea made in that prayer is, Thy kingdom come. I will be done in earth as in heaven. And within the Gospels, we see numerous parables that the Lord gave where he says, the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, the parables that the Lord gave were ways of explaining something in a a word picture or a story to, to allow people to appreciate something that they hadn't ever experienced, perhaps. But today we're not looking at parables, but prophecies about the kingdom of God. And prophecies in this context are not just word pictures to give more information, but they're writings that claim to describe something that will happen in the future. Now there are a number of places where you could find prophecies of the future. For example, in the writings of Nostradamus. And if we're to be very honest, you have every right to be sceptical about most of these prophecies we can find. However, the prophecies in the Bible are different in many ways. First of all, they're generally very detailed, giving lots of information about what may happen in the future, lots of information where we can test the prophecy, and not just some vague description of some event that you could perhaps apply to lots of different situations. And the other thing important about the the prophecies in the Bible is that many of them have already been fulfilled. So therefore we can see that they have come to pass. Now this talk is going to be generally about prophecies that are still to be fulfilled for the kingdom of God is not yet set up. But the sheer fact that there are others within the same book that have already been fulfilled shows that we should really take consideration of those that are yet to come to completion. Now we don't have time now to look at fulfilled prophecy in detail, but especially those that relate to the scattering of Israel as occurred in AD 70, and their remarkable regathering which happened in the last hundred years or so. If we were to look at those, we could show that the words predicted there are true. And as we look at some of the prophecies to do with the kingdom of God, we'll see again that this regathering was predicted and is important for the setting up of that kingdom. Now when we think about a kingdom, then for a kingdom to be anything, it really needs three things. A kingdom needs a king or a queen, needs a realm or a land over which that person reigns, And it needs some subjects because a kingdom without anybody within it wouldn't be much of a kingdom, would it? 
So we're going to look at some prophecies that look at these three aspects. And then when we have a picture of this kingdom, we look at when these prophecies are said to be fulfilled and what does that mean for us. Because yes, these prophecies are given in the Bible to give a, a, a picture of the future of a much brighter future than this dark world we live in. But that's not the only reason they're there to stir us into some form of action. So we're looking at the kingdom of God. No need to go there, but one verse in Zechariah 14 sort of sums up what we're talking about. It's Zechariah 14, verse 9. And the prophecy is, And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord, and his name one. So the Bible says the Lord, God, shall be the ultimate king over all the earth. But we see in other prophecies that he will, certainly at first, have a representative, a human, to rule for him on the earth. And our opening reading, Psalm 72, talks about that representative for God as king over his kingdom. Now Psalm 72 was written by King David. It tells us that in the last verse of the psalm the prayers of David the son of Jesse are ended and the title to the psalm tells us that he wrote it for his son Solomon who was to be king over Israel when David stood down from the throne but though this is a prayer by David that his son would be a, a great king when he succeeded to the throne of Israel we know that when we read through the Bible what happened with Solomon that though he was a wise man he was far from the perfect king described in Psalm 72. And we can also tell when we look at elsewhere in the Bible, and some of these areas we'll look at, that the ultimate king that this was talking about would be the Lord Jesus Christ. We see this spelled out clearly by the angel Gabriel when he spoke to Mary about her son to be born, verses we probably well recognise from the so-called Christmas message it's in Luke chapter 1 and the angel said unto her fear not Mary for thou hast found favour with God and behold thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there shall be no end. So there as the angel Gabriel predicted the, the birth of Jesus Christ, he said that he would reign over the throne of his father David, the writer of Psalm 72, that he would be king, and of that kingdom there would be no end. So what do we see about this king and his kingdom in Psalm 72? Well, we see a ruler that will rule with complete and utter justice, showing no partiality, able to discern the truth of every matter. Just again read verses 2 to 4. He shall judge thy people with righteousness and thy poor with judgment. The mountains shall bring peace to the people and the little hills by righteousness. He shall judge the poor of the people. He shall save the children of the needy and shall break in pieces the oppressor. And again verse 12. He shall deliver the needy when he crieth, the poor also and him that have no helper. He shall spare the poor and needy and shall save the souls of the needy. He shall redeem their soul from deceit and violence 
and precious shall their blood be in his sight. We can see from the psalm that his kingdom will cover the whole earth and all the nations will be subject to him. Verse 8. He shall have dominion from sea to sea and from the river unto the ends of the earth. They that dwell in the wilderness shall bow before him and his enemies shall lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish and of the Isle shall bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba shall offer gifts. Yea, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. So there will be a, an all-powerful king over all the earth. And in that day, famine will be a thing of the past. We're told in verse 16, There shall be a handful of corn in the earth upon the top of the mountains. The fruit thereof shall shake like Lebanon. And we see that this kingdom will last forever. As it says in verse 17, His name shall endure forever. His name shall be continued as long as the sun. And men shall be blessed in him. All nations shall call him blessed. So there's a picture there of this king over a kingdom that is nothing like anything we've seen on the earth so far. And if we move on a few books in the Bible to the prophecy of Isaiah, we can see within that prophecy a lot of different pictures of this kingdom to come. We'll just look at three of them during this talk. We'll start in Isaiah and chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2 and verses 2 to 4. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mount of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. Many people shall go and say come ye and let us go up to the mount of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob and he will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his paths. Out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people and shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation neither shall they learn war any more. Now that last phrase there about beating their swords into plowshares etc. It's one that the whole world has grasped or hold of. And they've used it in a vision of a, a worldwide kingdom they would like to set up. It's actually a phrase used outside the United Nations building in New York. But this organisation set up by man to bring peace to the earth has failed miserably to indeed bring that phrase to pass. There is still much war and destruction on this earth at this time. But as we saw in Psalm 72, there is a he to come who will bring it to pass, who will bring that peace prophesied of through Isaiah. Ultimately, of course, this is God who will intervene, but it's through his representative, the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, as we saw in Psalm 72, it will be a, a worldwide kingdom, walled in justice, directed, as we're told in that section of Isaiah, by the word of God, leading to that perfect peace upon this earth. It's a remarkable vision there, isn't it, of a, the future, but one that can only be brought about by God and by his Son. It won't happen through the normal course of events of man struggling to bring it to pass. 
we get an idea of that in verse 2 because it talks of the mountain of the Lord's house being higher than any other mountains but the nations like water flowing up to it well of course that's not natural is it waters don't flow up to a mountain they flow away from it and this kingdom will not be set up by the normal course of events but by the intervention of God who will bring it to pass if we move on to Isaiah in chapter 11 we come to another prophecy that has some perhaps familiar phrases to us Isaiah chapter 11 verses 1 to 10 and there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him the spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and might the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord he shall make him a quick understanding in the fear of the Lord and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes nor reprove of the hearing of his ears but with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth and shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked and righteousness shall be the gird of his loins and faithfulness the girdle of his reins the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the kid and the calf and the young lion the fatling together and the little child shall lead them and the cow and the bear shall feed their young ones shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox and the sucking child shall play on the hole of the asp and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice den they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea and in that day there shall be a root of Jesse which shall stand for an ensign of the people to which shall the Gentiles seek and his rest shall be glorious again we have a description of a, a marvellous person don't we and in verse 1 of that chapter he's described as coming from Jesse now Jesse was the father of King David that person who we saw wrote Psalm 72 and Paul when he spoke in Antioch as we call it in Acts 13 tells us who this descendant of Jesse would be Paul recalls they're talking about the history of Israel and when he, God, had removed him that's Saul, the king before David he raised up unto them David to be their king to whom also he gave testimony and said I found David the son of Jesse a man after mine own heart which will fulfil all my will of this man's seed of God according to his promise raised unto Israel a saviour Jesus so once again we're looking through this descendant of Jesse, a descendant of David at the Lord Jesus Christ as the man in the prophecy he was a man as we're told there in verses 2 and 3 filled with the wisdom of God and twice Luke in his gospel when talking about the growing up of the Lord Jesus Christ tells it in Luke chapter 2 and the child grew and waxed strong in spirit filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him and again a little later in the same chapter and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favour of God and man <coughs> once again in Isaiah 11 we see the, the righteousness of this king in verse 4 as he again judges the, the poor with complete equity 
a leader who will do what is right on all occasions, not swayed by any personal interests or by national or party politics. We see again that peace will result from his rule, and this time not just among the nations, but in nature itself, as we read there, that the animals will no longer kill and maim each other. And again, the prophecy tells us how this will all come to pass. It all comes from a knowledge of the Lord, a knowledge that will fill the whole earth, we're told in verse 9. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And verse 10 tells us that this won't just be for the subjects of David's old kingdom, the, the Jews, but also for the Gentiles or the non-Jews as well. For we're told that they will seek unto this kingdom and find rest within it. If we move on again to Isaiah chapter 65, we have yet another picture in Isaiah of this kingdom to come. And again we can see a link to the, the prophecies we've already seen. In Isaiah 65 verse 17, it again talks of this new kingdom to come. Isaiah 65 from verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. But be ye glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing and a people of joy. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. And the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her, nor the voice of crying. There shall be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that have not filled his days. The child shall die a hundred years old, but the sinner being a hundred years old shall be accursed. And they shall build houses and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. They shall not build and another inhabit, they shall not plant and another eat. For the days of a tree are the days of my people. Mine elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labour in vain, nor bring forth for trouble. For they are the seed of the blessed of the Lord, and their offspring with them. And shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together, and the lion shall eat straw like the bullock. And thus shall be the serpent's meat. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, saith the Lord. We see in that last verse a strong echo back, can't we, to Isaiah chapter 11. Verse 17 tells us this new kingdom will be completely different. It's a, like a new heaven and a new earth. Totally different to anything we've experienced now. It'll be a time of justice and Equity again, as we're told in verses 20 to 23. People won't work for, for nothing or work to have it taken away from them, but they shall enjoy the work of their hands. And again we see that this is all caused by the people being led by the Lord God. Whereas in verse 24 we're told that it will come to pass that before they call, I, God, will answer. While they're yet speaking, I will hear. In verses 20 and 22, we see something about the, the people in the kingdom. We're told they shall live a long time, fulfilling their days, being as old as the, as old as the trees. 
So some of the subjects will still be mortal and die, but their lives will be much longer and without sorrow and crying, as we're told in verse 19. Verse 19 says, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. The voice of weeping shall no more be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. And that last verse is an echo for us in Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. We go to Revelation 21, but read from the, the start of the chapter for connection. We can see this. Again, it starts with this idea of a, a new heaven and a new earth. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven, the first earth, had passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. So we have that new heavens and a new earth, as we saw in Isaiah 65, and with this idea of God taking away sorrow and crying. But verse 24 of Revelation 21 goes further, doesn't it? It doesn't just say there'll be a lack of sorrow like Isaiah prophesied. But it says death eventually will be no more, that people will no longer die. This we can see for scriptures after a period of time, after the kingdom has been established. We started by looking at Zechariah chapter 14 where we were told that ultimately God would be the king over all the earth. But we've seen since then that Jesus would be his representative, at least for a time. Keeping your fingers in Revelation, we're coming back in. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we can see how this happens. This handing over from Jesus to God himself to be king on the earth. Now, there's a lot of he's and him's in here, so we'll try and pick it out as we, we go through the section. But in 1 Corinthians 15 from verse 24, we read... Then cometh the end, so this is the towards a period of time after the kingdom has been established, when he, the Lord Jesus Christ, we see that from verse 23, shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. So we're told that Jesus will reign for a period of time, bringing the earth to this perfect pitch that we've seen in the other prophecies. Verse 25, for he must reign till he put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he have put all things under his feet. So that's, God have put all things under Jesus' feet. But when he said all things are put under him, it is manifest that he has accepted God, which did put all things under him, Jesus. And when all things shall be subdued under him, the Lord Jesus Christ, then shall the Son himself be subject to him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. So we see then that there will be a, a period of this kingdom to come when Jesus will reign over the earth, and at the end of that time, 
then even death will be abolished. No people will no longer die. And after that, God will rule directly upon this earth. Now, Revelation 20 and elsewhere suggest that this period of reign of Christ will be a thousand years before he hands over the kingdom ultimately and completely to God. It also suggests that not all the subjects in that thousand-year kingdom of Christ will be mortal. Some will already be immortal and no longer dying. Revelation 20, verse 1. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and the great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, the old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection, on such the second death have no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now there is some very figurative symbolic language there, but we see this idea of a thousand year period, that at the start it there will be a, a resurrection of those who have followed the Lord Jesus Christ through the pages of history. And that these people will not die again. They, it says the second death will have no, nothing to touch them. They will reign with Christ in that kingdom for a thousand years. We also find if we were to turn from verse 12 onwards, that it talks of a, a second resurrection of those who have died during those thousand years, who would then live who are found worthy once God is in charge completely. This gift of everlasting life to those who follow Christ as described here, enjoyed by some in the kingdom, was always prophesied by Christ when he was here upon the earth. Just an example in Mark chapter 10 we read, But he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands, with persecutions and in the world or the kingdom to come eternal life so we've seen some wonderful pictures there in these prophecies of this kingdom of God that's promised a promise of a much better much different time than anything we can experience now so when will this happen well, many of the prophecies refer to the, the latter days or to the last days as the kingdom of God will be set up at the end of the rule of humanity, at the end of this current order of things that we experience now. Now, Jesus gave on a couple of occasions prophecies of events that would lead on from when he died up to the establishment of the kingdom. They're recorded in a couple of places as he sat on the Mount of Olives. We'll just look at the Gospel of Luke's version in Luke chapter 21. This is what is known as the Mount Olivet prophecy was 
given by Jesus. He looked back on the, the city of Jerusalem and we read from verse 24. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars upon the earth distressed nations with perplexity the sea and the waves warring men's hearts failing them for fear for looking after those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of heaven shall be shaken and then shall they see the son of man coming in a cloud with power and great glory when these things begin to come to pass then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh he spake to them a parable Behold the fig tree and all the trees. When they now shoot forth, you see and know of your own selves that some was now nigh at hand. So likewise ye, when ye see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Earlier in the chapter, up to verse 23, Jesus very much talking about the events around his own time, leading up to the time in verse 24 when he predicts the slaughter and captivity of the Jews at the hands of the Romans as occurred in AD 70 and in verse 24 he then continues doesn't he to say that this subjection of Jerusalem by non-Jewish people the Gentiles would continue until a time when the time of the Gentiles would be fulfilled and if we look at history we can see indeed as I said that Jerusalem was taken in AD 70 as prophesied and it was ruled by non-Jews throughout the next 2,000 years of history. Until in 1967, when Israel took control of the whole of Jerusalem. Jesus picks up on this again in verses 29 and 30, where he talks about the fig tree, which we could show in Scripture represents the nation of Israel. And he says when that fig tree blossoms, when it becomes a nation again, then again we know that the kingdom of God is very close. So as I said at the start, all these prophecies that we could see have been fulfilled about Israel returning to its land after many, many years, they are important because they tell us that the kingdom of God is very near to come. As he says in verse 31, So likewise you, when you see these things come to pass, know that the kingdom of God is near at hand. So we've seen that there are many prophecies of this kingdom of God. They talk about a kingdom that stretches over the whole world, ruled by a king who will reign in total righteousness with perfect justice. We've seen it be a world that's totally different to anything we see now. No war, no famine, no sorrow, and ultimately no death. In Revelation 20, it told us that those who served Jesus would be raised and judged at the beginning of the kingdom and then rewarded with a place in that kingdom to serve with him. In fact, we're told this in a number of places in Scripture. For example, in Acts chapter 17, Paul says when speaking in Athens, because God have appointed the day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom we have ordained, whereof he have given assurance unto all men and that he have raised him from the dead. And again, he went right into the Corinthians, the 2 Corinthians. Paul said, 
For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to the have done, whether it be good or bad. So the kingdom will be ushered in by this judgment, the resurrection and the judgment of those who have tried to serve Christ. And to have a place in that glorious kingdom prophesied, we need to pass that judgment. And we cannot do that of our own selves. We all sin, we all fail what God wants of us. We only deserve death. Paul tells us in Romans 6, but he also tells us there is hope. Romans 6 verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So that eternal life we saw there in this glorious kingdom is a gift of God, associated with the Lord Jesus Christ. With such a glorious future coming, hadn't we better find out how we can become associated with the Lord Jesus Christ and share in that kingdom to come? We hope you enjoyed that talk. For more downloads, videos, information about what we believe and details of our meeting times, go to our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk.